if you haven't got a Bible, go and grab one. Uh, and if you are using one of those black um, church Bibles, it's on page 1081, or you can find it in your own Bible or device. Uh, let's read from John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Let's uh, bow together in prayer. Uh, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would show us the way, the way to you. And Lord, we ask that we would know that way. And Lord, not only know it, but take it to walk on it and to meet you in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm, uh, I'm hopeless with directions. I'm really bad uh, with directions. Uh, I had probably the most recently, probably the most epic directions failure that I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, I was in Melbourne with a friend uh, and we decided to go to a cafe for breakfast and I'm the kind of person who likes to be prepared uh, for any eventuality. I like to know where I'm going. I like to know the way that I'm going. And so I looked up the night before, I, I did the Google Maps search, I had it all sorted out, I looked up where we were, where the place was, I thought I knew exactly what we were doing. The next morning we walked out of the hotel and I said, yep, okay, look, know where I'm going, had, had the phone out, you know, with, the, with Google telling me where I had to go, let's go right, we went right, it's just, think, at, oh, maybe at this corner we have to turn left, yeah, we'll go left again, uh, then walked a little bit further down that block. Oh, it looks like we have to go left again, actually, and maybe just down this little alleyway. And then at this point, I was kind of starting to, to panic a little bit. I, I'm thinking, it really looked a lot closer than this on the map, you know. Uh, and so, well, we'll just go down this alleyway and then, uh, and then turn down that other alleyway. Anyway, finally, we got there after about five minutes of walking around and me kind of slightly panicking uh, inside, not knowing where we were going. We finally got there, we got to the cafe, and like, oh, finally, we're here. At that point, I looked up. And 50 metres in front of us was the hotel exit. 
thought, how did this happen? And it actually turned out that from our hotel room, you could see the cafe. (laughs) And I'd been sitting there the night before, a couple of nights just going, that looks like a really nice cafe just across there. Maybe we should hit that up one time. Well, it's humiliating, uh, and uh, I don't know if you've had an experience like that, but at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world, is it? Uh, Even if we hadn't have found our our way there, we only would have missed breakfast, uh, and we did get there in the end. But what Jesus is talking about in this chapter is knowing the way to somewhere a lot more important than just uh, finding a nice breakfast uh, on a holiday. What Jesus is talking about is, how do we get to God? What's the way to God? Are there lots of ways, or is there just one way? Jesus wants us to know that the way to God is actually really straightforward. There's no tricks. The way to God is Jesus himself. Now, the context of what Jesus is saying here is his impending departure. He's going to the cross And after that, he's returning to the Father after his resurrection. Jesus is preparing his disciples, he's preparing to leave, and he's preparing his disciples for that fact. He wants to encourage them uh, for uh, for the time when he's absent from them. And he does that by giving them in this passage three encouragements as he prepares to go away. The first encouragement is that although he's going away, he's going away for a reason. He's going away in order to prepare a place for his disciples. Uh, back in chapter 13, Jesus had said to his disciples, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus is going to a place that they can't follow him. He tells Peter, uh, the very next thing he says, he tells Peter that they will follow later, they will eventually go after him, but where Jesus is going in the first place, he has to go alone. The place where he's going is, first of all, of course, the cross. He's leaving them shortly in order to be crucified, to die a cursed death in their place, And that is something that Jesus has to do on his own. They can't do that with him. In fact, that's the whole point, right? The whole point of the cross is that he goes there alone, that they don't go with him, that he's going uh, to die a cursed death in their place instead of them so that they might be spared. He's doing it for them. He's taking the wrath of God, the judgment of God that they deserved so that they don't have to suffer that. Of course he's going alone to do that that's the point but then after the cross and after his resurrection Jesus will also go to be with his father until the time comes for him to return and to gather his people and to and to put the world uh, right at this point when Jesus is speaking to them the disciples don't get that big picture it's only later after Jesus death and resurrection that they finally put it all together All they really know at the moment is that Jesus has said he's going away. He's leaving and they can't go with him. At least they can't go with him for the moment. And I think most of us can kind of uh, resonate with what the disciples must have experienced uh, at that time. It's it's a sad thing, isn't it? It's a sad thing to, uh, to lose a friend, uh, if, especially if it's a friend who's, who's very close to you, uh, someone that you trust, 
uh, someone that you rely on, someone that you depend on, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad when that happens, when they go away. But actually, it can be worse than sad, I think, can't it? Because you can, if you really trust them, if you really rely on them, you actually can end up feeling a bit lost, I think, can't you? So, oh, well, you know, who will I go to if, if, if I have a question, if I have a need? You rely on them. You might even wonder, how, 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 how will life go without them? Because you're so dependent on them. And in some ways, I think that's what the disciples were facing as Jesus said to them, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't follow. But actually, what the disciples were facing was actually, in a sense, I think, worse than that still. Sure, they were Jesus' friends, but they'd also come to love Jesus and to trust Jesus beyond anything else. They'd come to rely on him and depend on him in a way that they'd never relied or depended on anybody else. They'd come to realise that this guy wasn't just any ordinary person, but this was God's Messiah, this was God's Saviour. They still didn't understand, sure, everything that that meant, but they understood enough, right? They understood enough to say, wherever this guy is going, we're going to. We trust him. We're following Jesus. And now Jesus is saying to them, I'm going away. It's a hard thing to hear, I think, isn't it? They would have been tempted to feel abandoned, to feel left behind, to feel deserted. <laughs> what, what, what have you been gathering us for, Jesus? If you just mean to leave us behind here. And if truth be told, I think sometimes we are tempted to ask those same kinds of questions. What are you gathering us together, Lord, if you're still so far away? Sometimes we might feel, feel abandoned by God. God, why have you left us here? Why isn't Jesus here standing next to me? Why can't, he, why can't he be physically here? He was with the disciples. He was in the boat with the disciples. He was at the tomb for Lazarus. Why can't he be here with me? Why does it feel like I have to go through this alone? Why can't Jesus be here too? But Jesus wants the disciples and us to know that he's not abandoning them. In fact, He's going away because he has a purpose. He has something that he needs to do, something far, far better than just to stay with them. He has to prepare a place for them. He's going to get a place ready in his father's house. Whenever I go to visit my, uh, my mum and dad, uh, at least a few weeks before I visit, my mum always tells me that uh, she's got my room ready. You know, and, uh, and some, sometimes it's like, you know, six months in advance or something like that. Uh, uh, got the room ready for you, Carl. Uh, you know, I've made the bed. Uh, you know, she's got, the, got the, the spare bathroom ready and all that kind of stuff. Got the, got the, got the spare key for the house out. She's, she's tidied everything up. She's got the place ready. And Jesus says, actually, that's what he's gone to do. 
He's gone to get things ready for us to follow him. And, and he's gone to get a place ready with his father in his father's house. And it's this house, Jesus says, with, with loads of room, with loads of space for whoever wants to follow him there. It's a wonderful picture, I think, isn't it, of, of Jesus gone to his father's house making the beds and tidying up the, the floor in the spare room. And setting out the towels and making the place ready for us to go there to be with him. But the kind of preparation that Jesus is making for us is not just the kind of preparation that we make when we have guests coming to visit. You know, we might outlay a little bit of money, maybe, maybe the blanket's looking a bit threadbare and so we might go out and buy a new, blan- buy a new blanket or some new towels, if we're feeling generous. But the kind of preparation that Jesus has made for us to visit his father's house is infinitely costly. What did it cost Jesus to prepare a place in that house? It took the cross. It took his own suffering. It took his condemnation in our place. His misery, his agony so that the room might be ready when we go. Come on in. There's a place ready for you in my father's house. How could we ever think that God doesn't love us just because he's not here beside us right now? How could we think that when Jesus has paid so much to prepare a place in his father's house? And in fact, Jesus goes on right after this passage to say that even though he is going away, he hasn't left us. He's not abandoning the disciples at all. Look a little bit down uh, in that chapter in verse 16. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Who? The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Jesus says he won't leave them as orphans. He will come to them. He will come to them in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we might feel alone, but if we're in Jesus, we're not alone. Jesus is with us. He's gone to prepare a better place, yes. But he's also come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit to make his home with us here. And so whatever you face today or whatever you face tomorrow, if you're in Jesus, he's there with you. He's with you as you sleep. He's with you as you wake. He's with you as you eat breakfast. He's with you as you send the kids off to school, as you go to work, as you visit the doctor, as you hang out the washing. He's with you as you move to a new place, as you enjoy the good gifts that God gives us of family and friends and whatever else it might be. He's with you as you welcome a new child into the world. He's with you as you sit in hospital next to the person that you love. And he's with you as you farewell the child or the parent or the friend at the side of the grave. If Jesus is not here with us in the flesh, it's only because he's gone to prepare something even better for us than we can possibly imagine. 
So that's the first encouragement that Jesus wants us to know. He's going away, sure, he's gone away, but he's going away in order to prepare a place for us with his Father and prepare a place for everyone who trusts him. The second encouragement that he gives then is that he will come back for his disciples. So verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He's going away to prepare a place for his disciples and because of that, the disciples can know that he will certainly come back for them. That is, Jesus is not going to go all that way. He's not going to go to all that trouble of preparing a place and then not come back and and gather them and take them with him so that they can enjoy it. I don't know if you've seen Star Wars 7. I always lose count of where we're up to. I think... Seven was the one before last. In Star Wars Seven, The Force Awakens, uh, the, the, the main character in that ray finds herself uh, alienated, alone, on uh, the planet Jakku. She's uh, scavenging for her existence, and she's waiting. She's waiting uh, for someone to come back for her. She's waiting for her parents to come back for her. And every night in her makeshift home, she crosses off the days that she's been there alone, waiting, waiting for someone to come back. But no one ever comes back. No one ever comes back for her. Films are littered, I think, with that line, I'll come back for you, that promise, I'll come back. Parents promising to come back for their children, soldiers leaving for war, promising to return for their fiance. But sometimes those people never come back. Sometimes they don't return because they can't. They die on the battlefield. And they, and they can't come back. Sometimes they don't return because they change their plans. The soldier who leaves his fiancée for war and falls in love with the pretty woman in France. Sometimes they don't come back because they just move on with life and they forget. Time moves on and they forget about the promise and they forget about the person that they've left behind. But Jesus says, I won't do that. If I go, I'll come back. How do we know? We know because we know that nothing can stop him. Death couldn't stop him. What power will keep him from coming back? What will waylay him? What will tie him down and prevent him from returning? Nothing. Nothing can stop him from coming back and keeping his promise. And we know that Jesus will come back because of how much it's already cost him. It's already cost him everything to prepare a place. Why would he go to all that effort and then not come back? Why would he go to the cross and then say to himself, Maybe I'll just stay here. After preparing all these rooms, maybe I'll just stay here and keep them for myself. We know that he won't do that because it was his love that took him to the cross. His love even when we're his enemies. How much more will he come back now that he's reconciled us to himself and to his father through his death? And we know that Jesus isn't going to change his plan because 
his plan has been since eternity past. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Jesus won't forget. He won't change his plan. He won't be waylaid. He won't be kept from coming back. It's tempting, I think, for us to think that waiting for Jesus to come back has no relevance for us here and now. We think, yeah, Jesus is coming back. Yep, I know that's true. But so often we fail to live like that, I think. Even just in general... Waiting expectantly for someone to return has huge implications for our life. Uh, At the end of the Second World War, people were coming home from from the battlefields. uh, And those back at home, waiting for their loved ones, waiting for their children, waiting for their fiancés, waiting for their husbands, those people back at home didn't always know when they would be coming home when they would see their child, when they would see their husband, when they would see their fiancé. They knew that they were coming back. They knew that the war was over. And they knew that the ships were coming home. But they didn't know the day that their loved one would turn up. And so every day was lived in constant anticipation. Not fearful anticipation or desperate hopelessness. Will they be here? But a joyful hope, they're coming back and I'm just waiting for them to come. When you know that someone is coming back for certain, you don't live in despair, you live in joyful expectation. And that shapes the way that you live. And it's the same with Jesus. We know that if we belong to him, we know he's coming back. We know he's coming back to gather us, to take us to be with him, to be with his father in the new creation. And so we should wait in eager anticipation. And so when we're tempted to despair, when we're tempted to look at the struggles of life and the brokenness of the world, when we're tempted to think that it's all just hopeless, when we're tempted to think perhaps that we've been abandoned by God, that he's not coming back, when, we're temp- when, we're, when we think that we've been left alone, when we, we're tempted to think that sin will never end in us or in the world, when we're tempted to think that the world will only ever get worse and never better, when we're tempted to think that we can't go on anymore, that we can't face another day, we need to remind ourselves in those situations that Jesus is coming back. If I go, I'll come back. And if I go, I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me in my Father's house. We don't know the day and we don't know the time but we do know with absolute rock solid certainty that one day the darkness will end because the light of Christ will overcome it. And we do know that death will be no more. And the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. 
And in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. If I go, I'll come back. So the first encouragement that Jesus gives is that although he's going, he's going for a purpose, to make a place for us with his Father. The second encouragement is that he will definitely come back and take us to be with him if we know him and trust him. The final encouragement that Jesus gives then to his disciples is in verse 4. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus says to the disciples, they don't need to worry because they already know the way to the place that Jesus is going. They already know the way to the Father's house. Thomas uh, isn't so sure. Poor old Thomas. He says to Jesus in verse 5, Lord, we don't know the way, uh, don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? But Jesus says, actually, Thomas, you do know the way. Uh, He is the way. They know him. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That is, if they know Jesus, they already know the way. They know how to get to God. They know the truth. That is, they know the most important truth in the world, the truth about God that Jesus has revealed. And they have life. Because as we saw last week, Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. Life is bound up in him, in his person, and in his powerful resurrection from the dead. And so if they know him, if they're with him, if they're joined up with him, linked up with him, then they have life. They know the way. They know the truth. They have the life that is in the person of Jesus Christ. And the disciples not only know the way, they know the destination too. They know the Father. To know Jesus is to know the Father. To see Jesus is to see the Father. Philip's not sure about that. He feels like he's missing out by seeing only Jesus and not seeing the Father as well. And so he says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Just show us the Father. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, don't you know that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. The reason that seeing Jesus is the same as seeing the Father, and the reason that knowing Jesus is the same as knowing the Father, is because Jesus and the Father are one. One God. The Father is in Jesus the Son, and Jesus is in the Father. And the works of Jesus demonstrate that. They show that. They prove that. They show the life and the power of God is in Jesus. The calming of the storm showed the power of God was in Jesus. The raising of Lazarus showed that the power of God was in Jesus. To know Jesus is to know the Father. How do you get to God? 
How can you know God? How can you have a place with God, not only for all eternity, but even now? Jesus says, it's through him. All you need is him. I am the way and the truth and the life. Whenever people try and give me directions to get somewhere, after about two streets, I'm lost. I say, I often say, what's your address? They don't tell me the answer to that. They start to tell me the directions. Do you know St. John Street? No, I have no, no, no idea what that is. York Street? No. Where, where is it in relation to Kurong? That's what I always say. It's the only place I know in town. And then they persist in telling me the answers in here, telling me how to get there anyway. Well, you don't know where George Street is, but anyway, if you're on George Street, <laughs> you go left at the pub, uh, then take the 11th left, uh, and then you go about six furlongs down that street, and two chains, and then you turn 235 degrees to the left, and then take 25 degrees back to the right, and then jump one metre on one leg, and you should be about there. It's a pointless exercise, because I'm already lost when they say, do you know where George Street is? But Jesus says that to know God is not that complicated. It's not like asking for directions and getting lost after one or two false starts. Jesus says that the way to God is so simple that even the simplest person can find a way. There's only one direction, Jesus Christ. That's all. You need to know him and trust him and follow him. Do you know Jesus? If you do, then you know the Father. And you know the way to God. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to earn a certain grade of obedience. You don't need to have a certain quality of life. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to be poor. You don't need to be middle class. You just need to know Jesus and to follow him and to hang on to him. Yeah, sure, if you know Jesus and you follow him, if he's the way that you're on, then that will change your life. You'll grow in understanding. You'll grow in obedience to Jesus. But those aren't the way. Those things are not the way. They're just the towns that we pass as we travel along Jesus Christ. But not only is Jesus the way, the truth and the life, Jesus wants us to know with absolute certainty that there's no other way either. If you're on a different way, if you're trying a different strategy, you won't get there. Not all roads lead to Rome. It's like thinking that jumping on a plane to New Zealand will get you to Britain. It doesn't work. You're either on the way or you're not on the way. And if you're not with Jesus, if you're not trusting and following him, following him then you're not on the way to God. Islam isn't the way. Hinduism isn't the way. Humanism isn't the way. Science isn't the way. 
Being a nice person isn't the way. Hoping for the best is not the way. Following a Jesus of your own imagination is not the way either. The only way is the Jesus that we meet in the Bible. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Don Carson has written a poem based on this passage that gets the heart, I think, of what Jesus is saying. He wrote, I am the way to God. I did not come to light a path, to blaze a trail that you may simply follow in my tracks, pursue my shadow like a prize that's cheaply won. My life reveals the life of God, the sum of all he is and does. So how can you, the sons of night, look on me and construe my way as just the road for you to run? My path takes in Gethsemane, the cross, and stark rejection draped in agony. My way to God embraces utmost loss. Your way to God is not my way, but me. Each other path is dismal swamp or fraud. I stand alone. I am the way to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have made the way in Jesus Christ to yourself. Thank you that Jesus has not simply pioneered a way that we have to push and batter our way through ourselves. But thank you that he is the way and the truth and the life. And that all we need to know is him. And so, Lord, we pray that each one of us would know him and love him and trust him. That we'd hold on to him even as he holds on to us. And, Lord, we pray that as we do that, we would have such great confidence and that we would live in eager anticipation of a house with many rooms and a room for us as well. And that we have immense confidence in a saviour who's not only prepared a place, but who will come back. He will take us by the hand and will lead us into your glory. We ask it in his name and for his name's sake. Amen.